when we have something exciting like a chocolate on the, um, on, on the offer, it's like everybody wants to participate. But when we have a vegetable, it's not that exciting, is it? Oh, shame on you. What did your parents teach you? point I'm trying to make this morning is that the Bible says this in Acts chapter 20 and verse 27. It says Paul was in the city of Ephesians, or Ephesus rather, he, was, he wrote a letter to the Ephesians. But in the city of Ephesus, he said to the people, you know what, when I was amongst you for about two years or so, I gave you the whole counsel of God. I taught you everything that I thought you needed to know. So I didn't just teach you the nice stuff that always is, oh, that's nice to hear. I love that. It's kind of like, whoa, that makes us feel good. Have you ever been in preachers like that when it's like, oh, that was good. You walk out and you're like, man, I feel good now. huh? And then there are those moments where you're like, ah, Phew, that cuts to the heart like the people said to, to Peter when he preached the gospel for the first time in, in the city of Jerusalem. They were cut to the heart because the truth of God penetrated their hearts and like, ah, it's a bit of a painful one, but it's so necessary. Paul is saying, I taught you the whole, I gave you chocolates and I gave you brinzels. <laughs> I gave you both. And both are necessary. Praise the Lord that chocolates are necessary. I mean, every diet should have some chocolates in it, isn't it? Yeah, some people have more than what they should, isn't it? I won't mention names. But anyway, um, I bring the balance. I'm the brinzel part of the family, isn't it? Hey? <laughs> what I'm trying to make is this, is that we cannot just live on the things that we prefer to have. And the things that we prefer to have are often just chocolates, huh? Isn't it? You agree, Ingrid? You like chocolates, I see. Uh -huh. I want to tell you that part of our journey as a church with you is to teach you the whole counsel of God. We cannot just prime on the chocolate moments. And praise the Lord for that. Where, where we read in Scripture just what God thinks of us and His plans for us, are good plans, and then we're like, yeah, yeah, that's great. And then we get to other parts of the Bible. It's like, man, this is a little like a brinjals. How many of you love brinjals? Kyle, you're one of them now, eh? She's, Charles, well done, Ruth. I don't see too many. Chocolates! Yay! We can do a Mexican wave here with the chocolate lovers. <laughs> but the point is, guys, we've got to cover the whole Bible. We've got to cover the full counsel of God. And God wants to penetrate our hearts with the things that we enjoy and the things that we find uncomfortable. So we are in that space in, a, in this, this time in a bit, as a church where we covering some areas that are uh, it's like a little bit uncomfortable but but hang in there because character is built in the valley not on top of the mountain isn't it are those mountain top moments like yay we it's lovely up here it's like we can have a beautiful view then we go down in the mountain it is tough in the mountain your view is limited you can't see far and your character is formed in the valley I don't know how many of you are in a valley at the moment in your life. But hang in there. God's counsel comes to you. And His word comes to you. And it encourages us. And it lifts us up. So that we can walk and not faint and grow and not grow weary. Walk and not grow weary. Run and not grow weary. And so we have been journeying through the book of Matthew. And, and again, as a, 
As elders, we implore you. We invite you. We strongly encourage you to journey with us. Because these are moments that, that we as individuals need to go through so that God can build into our lives what he wants. So, amen to Matthew. Amen? <laughs> and please read it and study it and journey with us. And so this morning is no exception. Two weeks ago, I was, I was going to finish the, the, the chapter on uh, the fifth chapter of Matthew. And we started off talking about not the law, but the Lord. Not the L-A-W, but the L-O-R-D. And so we, we started looking at what, what Jesus taught us from the book of Matthew after the Beatitudes about not the law, but the Lord. And so we want to carry on with that. And I, and I said to you that there are five words that Jesus repeated six times. In Matthew chapter 5 from verse 22 to 48, the five words repeated six times. The five words are, Whoa, well done. But I say to you. Say it with me. But I say to you. And so Jesus repeats that six times because he's trying to help us understand that when he comes and he introduces his way of living, sometimes it's a bit different than our way of living, isn't it? We like to just hey, stick with the chocolates, but Jesus says, hey, there's some brinjals that you need to eat too. So Carl, that's your lunch for this afternoon. Don't ever say that I never provided lunch for you, buddy. Here you go. Bless you. <laughs> the point is, guys, we, we need to understand that when Jesus interrupts us with a B-U-T. How many of you inter love the interruptions of God? Nobody. So don't try to be holy now. It's like, yeah, I love it when Jesus interrupts my life. No, none of us do. It is so necessary that he does, though. As much as we don't like to be interrupted in what we are busy doing. I mean, honestly, when, when suddenly there's an interruption in a moment like this, it's like, oh, I've got to just keep focus and, and, and just, you know, it's not, it's not comfortable. And so is whatever you are busy with in that times and you're interrupted, it's not comfortable. But we need to embrace those moments and, and work through it and not get upset and, ah, stop it! Now, that was not shouting at you, just trying to say that we often could do that when we are interrupted and we just react We've got to respond in the Spirit. When Jesus says, but I say to you, recognize that it's him speaking. And we, we spoke about it two weeks ago, that there's one word in those five that are the most important of them all. Which one is that? It's a one-letter word. It's easy, come on. I, I, I. That's good. So Jesus says, but I, I say to you, I need to speak to you. I need to interrupt your life. I need you to listen to me. And we said that we need to establish who the I in our lives is. Is the I me that I say how things would go? And we love to do that, isn't it? I, I, I like to be in control of my life. Honestly, I love it. I just absolutely adore it. It's just wonderful to do things my way. Man, it's something incredible about that. None of you amen to that? 
And you all should because that's all where we all, all want to live, isn't it? But, but I need to understand that I've chosen to serve Him. And so He has the right to be the I in my life, not me. And so to the point that we determine that He should be in control, that is the extent towards, towards our submission would go. And, and the blessing of God would come. If it's about me, God is left out. And so when we go into the rest that we have started looking at, we have to establish that the I is in place and is the one that he needs to be. And there's no other I that should actually be in control of my life and of your life. Who is Jesus to you today? Is he the first point of reference regarding my decisions, my morality, my values, my finances, my future? Is he the one? Because when we look at these six steps, we've done two already, the I, Jesus, comes and he interrupts in the areas where we're so comfortable to do it our way. And he says, ah, I say to you, you used to a certain way, but I say to you, this is the way that I want you to live. And unless he becomes that I that he needs to be, we will always be kind of plodding along in life. And as a church, it is our desire and it is our calling to make disciples of followers of Jesus. To let the I take the center place of our lives. And so one of the things that really have been challenged of late through covid particularly, is that aspect of church. Not only our gatherings, but particularly also our discipleship journey with one another. Where it's, hey, are we connected in such a way that it's meaningful to you in your walk with God? Where we ask each other pertinent questions about who is Jesus to you? And so we have that as a, as a value for us as a church, and we have people in the church that are ready and willing and eager to help others to be discipled, but it, we've just seen that in the COVID season that I trust that somehow we're going to get out of, people have been reluctant to just connect. I want to urge you, and I want to invite you, first of all urge you, if you've, if you've been invited to join being part of discipleship and you're like, I don't know, and whatever, please join. And if you've never been part of a journey with people where you can be discipled and can disciple others, please give us your name. Please become part of it. Because the I needs to be formed in my life. And you know what? The I is more formed through other moments with other people as we become accountable to one another. It is not just possible through a Sunday moment. And praise the Lord for you guys being here. But you know what? Our commitment to you is not to just to have a meeting here for an hour or three or whatever. Our commitment towards one another is to see you and me grow in seeing Jesus, the eye growing more pertinent, more prominent in our lives. And it comes through interpersonal connection. I needed to throw that in this morning because we often talk about the role of Christ in our lives from this stage but the application of that is absolutely dependent upon interpersonal relationships. Where iron sharpens iron. 
Amen? And we talk to one another, and we talk through things, and we grow in that journey. So please, King City Church, I'm inviting you again on a discipleship journey with us. Where it's not that we're going to you know, tell you what to do. We're going to grow together. We've got wonderful material that we prepared to help people step by step, just to grow. And you know what? We all need to grow, isn't it? So that's just a little bit of a, an added thing that I wanted to invi- invite you to. So last time when we spoke from the book of Matthew, we looked at the fact that our anger should be subject to the Lord. In uh, chapter 5, Matthew 5, you want to turn there with me? Jesus gives us the first um, area that we need to let his r- rulership be, be made relevant. And, and he spoke about anger. We're not going to deal with that again. Then we spoke about the fact that our inner thoughts ought to be pure. And then and, and chapter 5 again from verse 27, it spoke about this area of lust. And how when we look at something and we want it, Jesus spoke directly into that. He says, no, this is not how I want you to live. And so today we want to carry on. There are six areas that he, that he spoke into that we want to continue focusing on. Today's one that is the third one is from verse 31. And it speaks about the standard of marriage. That he says, I require of you absolute faithfulness. Absolute faithfulness. Let me read to you from verse 31. It says, it was also said, because in the law, it was given to them that they shouldn't divorce, but it says, you were taught subsequently that whoever divorces his wife, let him give her a certificate of divorce. If you want to have it done, actually what has happened, the, the Pharisees just made some, some leniency towards it. And Moses, back in the time, he said, okay, this is not really God's will, but if you have found a reason, then we'll give you a letter of divorce. And so Jesus says, that's what you are used to, that the Mosaic law actually allowed for easy divorce through because of the hardness of the heart of the people. They, they had excuses. But generally, Jesus clearly says in verse 32, But I say to you, those five words again, that everyone who divorces his wife, except on the ground of sexual immorality, makes her commit adultery. And whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. So Jesus is clear. He says, he, I generally forbid it. There's one exception, sexual immorality. He says, I don't want you to just use what was made available in the past to determine your future when it comes to marriage. And generally, I understand that this is a very sensitive topic. It's not something that we just flippantly go over and tell people, you know, just the the law, and, and command them towards things. This is very, very sensitive. But it still is a very clear command by Jesus that this is what you thought, but this is what I say. I expect absolute marital faithfulness. And I know that Many people have been hurt. I, I have family members that have been hurt through divorce. And, and today still 
they, they worked through the, the consequences and the implications of what had happened years ago. I understand some of that. But it doesn't mean that we, we kind of throw the baby out with the bathwater because people have had failures in it and we're like, oh, well, then we can do whatever we want to because things have gone wrong. Now we can choose for ourselves. Jesus is very clear. But I say to you, this is the standard. And you know what? We're speaking into an area that, that some of you are involved in. You're married. Some of you have been disappointed through marriage. Some of you not even thinking about marriage, which is good, Kyle. That's not relevant for you today. But it's so good for you to understand the standard of marriage. Amen? That, that as young people... Maybe some of you are like, yeah, I'd love to get married. That's great. Marriage is a beautiful thing, but it doesn't define you, by the way. But we need to define what marriage is before we go into it. And we need to define what it is when we're in it. And we need to redefine it when we've been disappointed through it, isn't it? So that maybe you won't get married again if you have been divorced. But maybe there will be people coming your way that you need to help regarding marriage and give them a biblical Godly and Christ-like impression of what marriage is all about. And so we need to talk about marriage in the context of how can this glorify Jesus? Not just how can it be more comfortable and more helpful to me. How can it glorify Jesus? And, and so either, wherever you are in the spectrum of marriage, today, if you are married... The question we need to ask ourselves is, how can I add more value to my marriage that it will glorify my king more? And should I get married and consider it, how can I bring in biblical values into my life now that when I get married, that I will glorify Jesus through it? So the aim of this talk about marriage is not to tell you what not to do, but to rather look at what we should do. Not to say, stay away from this. But rather pursue that because then you stay away from that. Isn't it true? And so the question we can ask ourselves is, what should I invest in my marriage that I don't have to ever get to the place of divorce? Whether you're married or not, whether you've been divorced, whether you've been disappointed, how can you help others to get to the place where they don't have to consider divorce? Because Jesus says, ah, amen? And so... This is one of those moments. It's not, it's not chocolates that we're handing out this morning. This, but this is helpful stuff like brinzels and veggies. And you've got to eat those things. And you've got to form your life after those things like this. And understand that this is important. This is so critically important and should be part of our diet as believers. That we don't talk about divorce as an option. And I understand that there have been extreme cases. And we have seen that where husbands unrepentant, or wives unrepentant about sexual immorality, husbands particularly unrepentant about physical abuse. It's for her own benefit and for her own safety and for her life's sake that she has to get out of it. But we cannot, because of the extreme situations, not talk about how good it is to invest in our marriage. And so we need to build that amongst us, single, married, divorced Widowed, we have to talk about these things and help one another value what it's all about. I want to just say this, that talking about investment, just what, what is the best investment that we can make for a marriage? 
if you're single or married. And so Samina and I were just chatting about it yesterday. I said to her, what, what investments have we made in our marriage, into our marriage that, praise the Lord, by His grace, it, it'll be 30 years this year, um, 32 years, 33 years this year, 33 years this year. Amazing, praise the Lord. And you thought I was only 35, eh? <laughs> anyway, so we just, we just chatted about that and said, what investments have we made over the years? And she said, because uh, we're, not, we're not one of those couples that, and praise the Lord if you are and you're able to, that you know, every six weeks we've got to go away for the, a weekend that we can just be together by ourselves and, or once a year we go whatever and do stuff and, or we go on a regular course like most of you would do for, on marriage often. No, no, I mean, those are good things to do. We've, we've not really done that. One of the things that we, we realize that has been incredibly helpful for us as a married couple to enjoy marriage and to grow in that is our own relationship with Jesus. And, and I don't want to sound super spiritual about that, but it really is. I mean, we've, we've been, since we got married in 1988, I think immediately after that we had like 28 people that we had to look after in terms of a Bible school context. And we had like 28 kids that came to us almost daily. They were aged between 19 and 52. And, and we had to guide them in their lives. And we needed guidance ourselves. We were very young. The thing that has kept us going and growing by God's grace, is our personal relationship with Jesus. And so, whether you're married or unmarried, the thing that will sustain you forever is not all the books that you need to read about marriage. It's the, the person that you need to pursue with all your heart. And his name is Jesus Christ. For me, it's just absolutely key that when we want to see marriage flourish, you've got to have a flourished relationship with Jesus, a flourishing one, where he constantly can speak into your life. And again, we come back to that I of those five words. Marriage and the impression you have of marriage, even if you've gone through a divorce and, and you've gone and you are in it or you still will go into marriage, it is all dependent upon your personal relationship with God. And so that's why you invest in that. It brings incredible value into any relationship, by the way, that you will have and do have today. It's Christ and Christ alone. And so then out of that, we obviously pursue the Word of God and we read principles and we treat, read about values, about how we ought to forgive and how we ought to treat one another and how we ought to serve one another because the word of God is our foundation and we invest our lives in that and we invest the word into our lives and, and out of that we can make a difference in our relationships. There's not a microwave option when it comes to relationships. You just tick, 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 push it in there, put it in there, close the door, come out, <laughs> happy marriage. <laughs> if only we've tried that and like put it in 25 minutes then. No, or put it on whatever mode. No, it's, it's as I invest myself 
into Christ. And I allow His Word to be invested in me through time and effort and brinjals and chocolates. And I grow. And the people around me see the growth that you go through in your own private moments with Him. The Bible would not talk about I as, you know, you are justified just to look at yourself and put yourself up on a pedestal. The Bible would not con condone that it's my life and my future and my money and, and my plans and my ideas. The Bible would celebrate our <laughs> So when you talk about marriage and, and we're not just, oh, don't divorce. We say invest. You've got to understand that one of the key words for investing in a marriage is our. It's us, not just me or mine or I. I mean, those things are challenged hugely in any form of relationship, but particularly when you get close to somebody. And so... We can, we can and ought to invest in, in our marriage through looking at God and through looking at the Bible. And doing it together, by the way, is a good thing to have as well. Bible also, as just an interesting addition to what I want to add in Matthew 19, it talks about how we can perhaps further Invest. And by the way, there are plenty of scriptures that, that, that talk about this. In Matthew 19, Jesus is again um, questioned about divorce. And in verses um, 1 to 6, um, he had finished these sayings. And he was in particular time where he was teaching. And verse 3, it says, the Pharisees came up to him. Say with me, Pharisees. Great. Have you all said that? Just to try to keep you awake. That's why we say Pharisees together. Anyway, it says, They came up to him and tested him by asking, Is it lawful to, to divorce one's wife for any cause? <laughs> it's like they say, we can do it. Jesus says, no, no, no. He says, he answered them in verse 4, Have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female? And said, By the way, we conclude and we agree that this is how God made us. Amen? And we do, not, we do not condone any other form of marriage, by the way. This is what Jesus teaches us. I think we've got to also just as male and female take responsibility for destruction that we have brought to the godly image of marriage. We are so quick to respond to gay and lesbian marriages. But we as heterosexuals have to understand that male and female have actually brought more harm and destruction to the beautiful image of marriage than what they have. I don't agree with lesbian and, 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 and homosexual marriages. But we cannot also not take responsibility for where we as male and female have brought destruction to marriage as a godly institute. So before we just, hey, you guys are wrong, let's take responsibility for our action and develop godly marriages around us. The world is in need of that. And so we say, yo, that's bad. 
But we do the same. We bring destruction to his image. So as believers, we are challenged to present something to the world that is so godly, that's so honorable, that people say, wow, that's what it should look like. Not because we are perfect, but that we present to them, not just saying that's wrong, but what is right. What is godly, what is glorifying to him is a beautiful, God-honoring, male-female marriage. And we have to speak into that, gentlemen and ladies. We have to. And we have to challenge one another with the right values in terms of that. Whether you're single or married or whatever, that doesn't matter. We've got to talk about the beautiful thing here. We cannot have a negative concept of marriage. And so Jesus says three things here that he, that he wants to celebrate. And when male and female get together, he says in verse 5, Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. Three things. He says you've got to leave, you've got to cleave, and you've got to become one. So this this morning is much on marriage. So unless you leave and say goodbye to the family that you were part of, you cannot say hello to the one that you need to become part of. You know what? People can be married for 50, 40, 50 years. Maybe their, their parents would have passed away by then. But the point is that often marriage is, is difficult. And divorce becomes an option because we're holding on to what happened here. Maybe our parents didn't manage well. And so we see that as a, as a pattern. And we, we haven't, we've left their home, but we've not left the way that they've done it. And with all due respect and no condemnation on your parents and my parents... But we use that often as, a, as an excuse to do what we want to do because we haven't left yet. We haven't left that way of thinking. And maybe my dad did it like that. So I just do it the same way. I just treat my wife the same way that he did or my, great, my grandfather did or whatever. And, and it brings destruction possibly. I've heard of so many beautiful stories of I know, I know a couple of people who have, I mean, gentlemen and ladies who have been married for 60, 70 years, and how that has become an incredible legacy into their family, where faithfulness in marriage has become so real because there's a wonderful example. But I've unfortunately also seen the opposite of that, where, where marriages that have been difficult has just been repeated. And I'm not saying that it's the only reason. But often we haven't left that, that past yet. And we kind of just let that determine who we are and how we live. And I want to encourage you. One of the things that we need to, when we want to cleave, we need to leave properly. And not dis, uh, disconnect ourselves from our family and, and, and kind of like um, ignore them and rebel against them and reject them. But whatever is not helpful, when you go into your own marriage, when you are in your own marriage, cut. Leave it. Leave that behind and start whatever God wants to start in your marriage. And help people towards that. Then the thing that Jesus says, once you've left, you need to now cleave. You need to see her and him as your focus. Not my mom says or my dad said, or, but you are the focus. I cleave to you. 
We, we have too much. And I know that there are some of you that will say, I don't know, it's like stuff that I don't really want to hear. But you know what? All of us need to hear this stuff. Because it all comes our way somewhere. Whether it's through friends or th yourself as a young person or you as a married person. Somehow it always, we're confronted with this reality of what is the biblical portrait of marriage. And we need to find what it is so that we can build a healthy society. You see, the world has changed, not from the, from the pulpit. The world has not changed from the, from the parliament of, of governments. The world has changed from the privacy of every room where husband and wife make choices. And those choices affect their children, and that goes into the society. That's where the world has changed from. It's from your private room. And if you never get married, it's still made, those decisions are made from your own private room. We need a better world. We need to have better marriages. And then it comes to the point where it says, the two shall become one flesh. So leaving means I leave behind or forsake. Cleaving means I glue. It's a beautiful Greek word that actually means I glue myself to this person. I, I join closely so that out of that leaving and cleaving, there's be one beautiful voice that comes out and there's unity that we're together. And you look at them, you actually see one. And we've often joked about it, but 16 days, Samine spent time with her family in South, which she needed to do. And I felt torn and, oh, man, I just not, not the same. I'm glued to her that when she's not close to me, I miss her so much. That unity that I have with her is something that's in the spirit, but even in the flesh, I, I feel it when she's torn from me. God wants us to experience marriage like that. And we have our moments, and I'm probably mostly the one that causes those moments, and, I, and she has much grace on me. So there's no comment necessary from the gathering now. <laughs> she thank you very much. <laughs> um, but, but the point is that we all, we all go through our stuff, and we're not perfect. She's very close to being perfect, but I'm not. And so that makes, you know, unbalanced and... But the point is, we need our God's gracious hand to help us. Because marriage is a beautiful thing. It's a beautiful, beautiful thing. I want to just celebrate singleness at the same time. As, we, as much as we're talking about marriage, I want you to know that as a single pers person, whether you've never been married or maybe you have been married and you're divorced and maybe you have been married and you're widowed, that does not define you. Marriage does not give you identity. And please, young people particularly, please don't try to find it in a person other than the person of Christ. Again, that's why we talk about the big I, that who is the I in your life currently? Because he's the one that gives you identity so that you can be a whole person when you do get married possibly, that you marry as a complete person because you found it in Christ, not in the person. Not in the, the babe or this hunk that you've met. We cannot look for those to have identity in. We've got to celebrate singleness as much as we celebrate marriage. And, and in a sense, we as a church need to apologize to the single people. Because we don't celebrate you enough. 
We really don't. We, we talk much about marriage, and, and marriage is a beautiful thing, and I'm thankful to God for being married. But you know what? If you're single, it doesn't mean that you're less valued as an individual. I want you to know that. You need to understand that. Because what we celebrate, we cultivate. And if we celebrate you as a, as a single person, maybe we'll cultivate contentment in being single more. But if we only celebrate marriage, people will be discontent in being single. And only think that oh, marriage is the place where I need to find my identity and I, I've got to get married because they're always just talking about marriage, 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 marriage. But not talking about singleness. I apologize to you today that we don't celebrate this enough because this is a godly thing. You look at the life of Paul. That actually, it was a single person. Did you know that? And he wrote some of the most beautiful things about marriage, but as a single person. And he wrote three quarters of the New Testament as a single person. Hey, that's incredible. So let's see that much of what we are, are, are adjusting our lives according to biblical truth and biblical counsel is written by a single person. Some people say when Paul talks about the thorn in the flesh, that could have been his wife. That's not true. All right. That's not true. Nobody had a thorn in his flesh like that. But anyway, um, the point is that we need to celebrate singleness. And singleness comes often in, because all of us, we need to know that, that we're all single at some time in our life. We're either single for all seasons, when people, for those people that never will marry, they just choose or they content with that. That's fine. That's not, oh! And culture forces us into stuff that is not biblical. If my culture says that you have to, I've got to go to the Bible to determine what the have to's are. I cannot let my culture determine that for me. Got to let the Word of God determine that. And if your culture says you have to, and only through have to, being married you will find identity, and through having children you will have identity, that is not what the Bible says. The law says this, but the Lord says something else. But I say to you. So come on, we've got to find what the Bible teaches more. So sometimes you have people that are single for all seasons. Sometimes you have people that are single for a season. Adults before they marry. Sometimes you'll have people that are single again. Adults after marriage. Divorced or widowed. Whatever season you are in, please do not let the season define you. Let Jesus define you. Let your worth be found in Christ and Christ alone. And so... When we talk about this one thing that we're only going to get to this morning about marriage, I want us to celebrate everything regarding marriage and singleness. When we are involved in marriage, when we consider it, when we talk about it, talk about it from a biblical point of view and, and impart biblical truth into your life regarding marriage. If you're single, celebrate your singleness. And, and by the way, there are hobos, ample, enough references to how we need to treat one another just as human beings. Never mind being married. Never mind having a wife or a husband. You have enough from Scripture to help you understand how you need to relate just interpersonally. Which means 
Singleness is actually through that celebrated quite substantially. I want to conclude this morning because we have three more to go and talk about. But marriage was probably what we needed just to talk about this morning and celebrate our identity beyond our connection with a person. But our earthly connections do not define us, but our heavenly connection does. And so wherever you are in terms of your heavenly connection, pursue that as strong as you possibly can. And if you need help there, we'd gladly help. And wherever you are with earthly connections, understand that there's work required, whether it's married or whatever situation you may be in relationally. And the other points that Jesus talks about is also related to relationships. He talks about revenge. He talks about not making promises. He talks about loving your enemies, which we will talk about still. The point is, our heavenly connection determines the depth and the value and the fruit of our earthly connections. Let's pray. God, I thank you for this beautiful heavenly connection that we can have with you. There's nothing more important than that. And I pray this morning, Father, that wherever each one of us may be in terms of our heavenly connection with you, our heavenly relationship with you, other words, or our personal relationship with you, I pray, Father, that people will, will take stock of that and say, well, I'm probably not where I'm supposed to be, or I am thankful for where I am. Currently, I am. I need to grow. Whatever it is, Lord God, wherever we may be, I pray that we will see it as the most important investment we can make into our lives. And I pray, Father, that that investment will be an investment into our relationship with people around us, whether it's our spouse, our children, our family members, our friends, our colleagues, just whoever they may be that we will invest in our relationship with you first and bring what we learn there and what you do for us and what you show us there into our earthly relationships. I pray, Father, this morning for people that are particularly battling in earthly relationships, that they will run to you because we all need that, Lord God. I pray for a running to you and say, Jesus, I have no idea how to do this. I, I think I can do it in this way, but it probably will not be helpful. And therefore, I'm asking you, in my walk with you, to form me, to change me, so that I can bring something of value into my earthly relationships. God, I pray for that. I pray right now, just this morning, that, Lord God, Holy Spirit, you will speak to us. You will help us to recognize where we need to pursue more in terms of our walk with you and how dependent we actually ought to be to let that pursuit affect our earthly relationships. I trust for that, Jesus, to speak into every heart right now. Thank you for your goodness. Thank you for your kindness. Thank you for your grace. Thank you, Lord.